Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in Crime and Punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. All right. We have George Barna with us today. He is professor at Arizona Christian University and head of the Cultural Research Center there. He's a prominent researcher in areas of cultural and religious trends. His findings have been with the Barna Group, have been cited many, many times in First Things magazine over the years. He has a doctorate from Dallas Baptist University, and he's written many, many books, uh, including, I'll just name a few, Fearless Parenting, Raising Godly Kids in an Ungodly World, Churchless, Understanding Today's Unchurched and How to Connect with Them, and The Habits of Highly Effective Churches. Our topic today is another research project that has just come out, led by uh, Mr. Barna. It is called The American Worldview Inventory 2020, and there are a lot of findings of interest to our readers and listeners. Welcome, Mr. Barna. Well, thanks, Mark. It's good to be with you. All right. Well, why don't you just give us a broad outline of what this new inventory project is, because this is the first one, and you're going to be doing this every year, correct? That's right. Yeah. And we chose this one because when we thought about all the research projects that we expect to be doing, worldview really is the foundation of everybody's life. Your worldview, everybody has one. Your worldview is essentially the intellectual, emotional, and spiritual filter through which we see and interpret and respond to the world. It's the thing that helps us to understand who we are, who we want to be, how we're going to get there. Every decision that we make is, is going through this filter. And so if there are things we don't like about our life, we really need to look back at our worldview and figure out where did that come from and how can I change it. There are things we don't like about our society or our culture. Again, we need to look at the worldview of the people in that society and figure out how are we going to change that worldview so that their behavior changes. Because one of the key things, Mark, is that you do what you believe. And your worldview is really the repository of all your critical beliefs, and those critical beliefs determine your behavior. So it's all interrelated, and we thought, if we're going to be doing research, let's go right to the root of everything, and that's worldview in America. And so the American Worldview Inventory is an effort to try to figure out what proportion of people have a biblical worldview. And that would be a way of seeing and interpreting and responding to the world that's based on core biblical principles and commands and perspectives. And so I had first started doing this kind of research around 25 years ago, 
And at that point, what we found was that about 12% of the population, the adult population, had a biblical worldview. That would be in the mid-1990s. Now, 25 years later, that number has dropped to 6%. So it's been cut in half in the last quarter century. And as we looked at the data, we're analyzing the different segments of the population. One thing that I found very intriguing was if you looked at this data by age group. So if you take people who are 50 or older, although the national average is 6% with a biblical worldview, with people 50 and older, it's 9%. If you go to the next uh, age breakdown, 30 years old to 49 years old, 30 years old to 49 years old, that's 5%. So it's roughly cut in half. And then if you go to the next younger age break, those between 18 and 29 years of age, you find that it drops to just 2%. So again, it's cut roughly in half. So what we're seeing is with each of those age segments, which are pretty typical marketing groups that you know uh, organizations look at, what we're finding is it's, it's dropping from segment to segment roughly by 50%. And so when we look to the future... We have to be concerned about what's going on there for a couple of reasons, one of which is that we know that a person's worldview, at least based on the research uh, I've been doing and, and a no, number of other researchers have been doing over the last 20 years or so, we know that a, a worldview begins developing at about 15 to maybe 18 months of age. And that worldview is pretty much completely developed by the age of 13. Now, it may change between the age of 14 and your mid to late 20s as you refine it, as you try to put it into practice in more and more complex and adult-oriented situations. So during that period of time, we find that people are refining that worldview, trying to figure out how's it going to work best for me, what feels best, what makes me most comfortable, what best represents me, what helps me to be the person I think I ought to be in the, in the most effective and comprehensive way. So that's a, a period where we're still kind of fitting it to the, to the person. But then once you reach your late 20s, early 30s, and beyond, you're living with it. That is who you are. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit will come along and change a person. But generally speaking, you know, dealing in averages, which is, as a sociologist, what I do, we find that people don't change much, if at all, after that roughly age 30 time. So we look at this information, we think over the course of time, this is going to have dramatic impacts on everything in our society. Our center will be doing additional research on what's going on in the culture, particularly in, in what are called in some quarters the seven mountains of cultural influence. So we'll be looking at the church, we'll be looking at government, we'll be looking at family, business and commerce, arts and entertainment, information and news media, and schools and education, those seven domains, because those are the ones really that dictate the nature of our culture. But in turn, it's people's worldview that dictates what's going to happen in those seven domains. So it all fits together, and we're hoping to continue to give a moving picture of what's going on in the culture. Our listeners are probably uh, a little bit confused because your survey says that seven out of 10 Americans 
consider themselves Christian. How then can only well, what one out of one out of thirteen have a biblical worldview? Well, because there's a difference between somebody calling themselves Christian, and, and what we find is that a lot of people will do that because they were raised in a family that considered itself Christian, or when they attend church, they attend a Christian church, or when they look at the major religions of the world, they feel most comfortable with the Christian faith. But a worldview isn't how do you think of yourself. A worldview is about what do you think of the teachings in the Bible do you embrace them, do you accept them, and do you apply them? And so when we did this inventory, we were looking really at two different things. One is your core beliefs as they relate to what the Bible teaches about those items. And then secondly, what do you do with those beliefs? How do you apply them in your life, if at all? And so when we score somebody's worldview, we're putting together those two different elements, both belief and behavior, and looking for individuals who, in most cases, will embrace the biblical view of a particular arena and will also apply those beliefs in specific ways. Now, Mark, it's interesting, too, because over the 25-plus years that I've been doing worldview research, one of the things that I've discovered is that Nobody I've ever researched on this matter, and, and I, you know, through the studies I've done, we've interviewed tens and tens of thousands of people in terms of their worldview. I have yet to find a single person who has a completely pure worldview, no matter what their worldview is. It might be postmodernism, it might be Marxism, it might be a biblical worldview, it might be secular humanism, modern mysticism, you know, take your, take your pick. But what I find is that, in America at least, and that's really what I focus on, what we tend to do is we get exposed to a lot of information from a lot of different worldviews, and we pick and choose the things that we like, the things that sound good to us, the things that make sense to us, the things that feel good, the things that we can understand how we could apply and that fit with who we want to be. And so every person I've ever researched in terms of their worldview has elements of multiple worldviews in their own personal concoction of a worldview. And so when we talk about somebody having a biblical worldview, the way that we look at it in our inventory, I know other people might choose to research it differently, but based on all that we've learned over the last 25 years, we say, look, if, if 80% or more of the beliefs that we're looking at comport with what the Bible teaches, and 80% or more of the behaviors that relate to those beliefs are actually implementing what that worldview is about, then we would say they have a predominantly biblical worldview. There are other people who have maybe a, a 50% you know, worldview, others who might have a 30% biblical worldview. It varies from person to person. When we say 6%, we're talking about people who really are driven by that worldview because... 80% or more of both their beliefs and their behavior reflects biblical teaching. Now, in terms of specifics, how how does your survey instrument get to people's worldview? You, you is there right there 50 51 questions on the on the 
instrument? Well, there are actually 66 questions, but 15 of them are demographic. So there's 51 questions that relate to beliefs and behavior. Yes. And, and what would be an exam- a sample question that would be an indication of worldview? Well, we have, uh, you know, across those 51 questions, we've divided them into eight different categories of biblical teaching. And so I worked for about four, maybe it was five months with the faculty at Arizona Christian University because one of the things that distinguishes our school is that everything that's taught is taught from a biblical worldview perspective. So I met with the faculty and we really tore apart how do we teach all of our different subjects, whether it's science or math or English or history or whatever it may be, and tried to figure out, yeah, what really are the core elements of how we go about this? And so we divided things, for instance, into categories like uh, the Bible, truth, and morality. Another category would be the value of life and the life of families. Another would be God, history, and creation. Another was human character and nature. But, so we've got eight different categories, and within each of those categories, then we tried to identify what were some of the central questions. So, for instance, we had questions about what people believe about God, and they were given eight or nine different choices based on other research we've done about people's perceptions of God. We give them those choices, they get to choose. And, you know, someone who has a biblical point of view would say God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who still rules that universe today. You know, other people might believe that, you know, everyone is God. Some people might say there is no such thing as God. Some people would have other perspectives of God that, that we list for them. So in all of the different questions, the 51 worldview questions, we were giving people choices, you know, and those choices were drawn from other worldviews to try to really represent their thinking well. And then we, you know, put together all of the answers from all of those questions and looked at what percentage of those actually fit with a biblical perspective. I I think that this is one of the important advances of this survey that shows, you know, simple professions of faith really only touch the surface. That getting down into worldview which gets to actually how they apply their their faith beliefs is is crucial, especially when we might consider that people may be aware of their faith, they may freely, openly profess their their sectarian commitments, but are they always fully aware of their worldview, George? No, I mean, you know, when we talk with people, for, you know, the first reaction I often get when I say to people, oh, we did this really interesting study on worldview, is they roll their eyes. And the reason for that is because they think, oh, gosh, here's an ivory tower construct that these guys have been working over. You know, it's like counting the number of angels on the head of a pin. They think it doesn't really relate to their life. They don't really understand the concept. They don't spend much time thinking about it. And yet it's interesting, too, when we ask people if they think they have a worldview, most Americans say, well, of course I do. I'm a Christian. You know, what other worldview but a biblical worldview would I have? And so there's this confusion even about what that means, and that's why we can't simply ask people, you know, do you have a biblical worldview? Because we know that most of the people who say they have one really are 
actually pretty far away from having enough of that kind of belief and then converting that belief into behavior that we would say that their life really is driven by that biblical worldview. And that that's what we at, at our center think is going to be so important in terms of helping America determine a better future. We believe that God gave us the Bible for our own well-being, that when people follow the teachings in the Bible, it's for their own good. It works out better for them than when they don't. And yet American society, if we compare biblical morality, biblical values, and so forth, to what's going on in our country, we would say the country's in a state of decline, and we believe it's mostly because we're moving away from it. Let, let, me, let me ask you about a term you have uh, in, in the survey report, the, quote, notional Christian. What is a notional Christian? Well, these would be somebody uh, or people who would say that they are Christians, they're part of that 71%, but they don't believe that they need to be or can be saved by Jesus alone. So these are people who, for instance, would say that, you know, if I'm going to experience any kind of eternity in the presence of God or go to heaven, however you want to think about the afterlife with God, uh, these are folks who would say, I'm going to have to earn it. So really, it's all about me. I've got to persuade God that I did enough good stuff that he's going to think that I deserve to be with him forever. And we differentiate notional Christians from born-again Christians. Not people who say they're born again, but people who say that when they die, they know that they, by God's rules, deserve to go to hell because of the way that they've lived. But they also believe the Bible when it says that God died for them on the cross and that their sins are forgiven if they embrace him as their Savior, they confess their sins, they ask him to forgive them and that he will extend that kind of grace to them and they'll be able to live with him eternally. So there's the two different groupings within the Christian culture that we look at, the notional Christians and the born-again Christians. And we find that different types of churches tend to veer toward one of those two uh, particular groups. And not surprisingly, we also find big differences denominationally in terms of worldview and in terms of whether people believe that there is such a thing as a born-again Christian, someone who's forgiven by Christ, uh, or people who say, no, that's not really it. All Christ did on the cross was give us the opportunity to earn our salvation. Two different ways of looking at it. You, you, you have a four-part breakdown of the Christian churches. Do you want to run us through how those four groups came up on biblical worldview? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, there are a lot of different ways of, of slicing and dicing it. What we did was we looked at people who attend evangelical churches— those who attend Pentecostal churches, mainline Protestant churches, and Catholic churches. And, uh, of course, you can break each of those into their denominational components. But uh, looking at it this way, what we find is that people who attend evangelical churches who represent roughly one out of every eight people in the adult population, about one out of five of them, 21% of those who attend evangelical churches, have a biblical worldview. That's closest 
to those who attend Pentecostal or charismatic churches. Those people represent only about 6% of the adult population, but among that 6%, 16% have a biblical worldview. So 21% evangelical churches, 16% in charismatic or Pentecostal churches. When we look at mainline Protestant churches, they're roughly 8 9% of the population, somewhere in there. And about 8% of the people attending those churches have a biblical worldview. So that's less than half of what you would find in the evangelical and Pentecostal churches. All of this, of course, relates to what these te- uh, churches teach about and believe about the Bible. And then the fourth category of churches were Catholic churches. Uh, that's really one denomination, if you will. It's the largest denominational group in America. 21% of people attend those churches. Only about 1% of Catholics in America have a biblical worldview. Why Why are Catholics so low? Well, as we looked at, at their perceptions about the Bible and then went back to the various churches in each of these four categories and looked at what they teach about the Bible, Catholics have a different perspective because they're more likely to believe in natural law. They do believe that the Bible is important, uh, but they're not as likely to believe that it's the inspired or the literal Word of God as people in those three categories of Protestant churches would. They tend to believe that the Pope is infallible, and so what the Pope says carries as much weight as what the Bible says. And in their churches, there's not as big an emphasis on the Bible being the Word of God that you ought to regularly study and integrate into your life. They embrace a wider group of teachings, because also tradition in their church is critical. And so they they have a different worldview. Many, many fewer of them would have a biblical worldview, because it's not held in as high esteem. The Bible isn't held in as high esteem in the Catholic Church as it is in some of these other churches. Now, if people don't have a biblical worldview, this goes a little beyond your survey, uh, but just your, your your own broader research, What how, how would you characterize the worldview that is most popular among those Christians who don't have a biblical worldview? Yeah, it's a great question, Mark, and, and, and one of the things that I find interesting is when we look at the varying worldviews, you know, if they don't have a biblical worldview, well, what other worldviews are they turning to? And what we see in America today is that probably the dominant worldview is postmodernism. Now, that's really interesting because postmodernism, in direct conflict with the Bible, teaches that there is no such thing as absolute moral truth. Uh, The postmodernist view would be that there may be a God, but there may not be. You can't really know, and it's not something that should drive your life. You are really responsible for your life, and the kinds of choices that you make. Nobody can tell you if you've made the right choice or the wrong choice. That's a very personal decision that only you know, because only you understand what's right or wrong for you based on who you believe you are, based on who you want to become. Uh, So postmodernism has a whole different flavor to it. And it, it would look at the Bible and say the Bible does not contain truth. The Bible contains 
some teachings that may be useful, they may not be useful, but you can't really rely upon it as a life guide. You need to turn inside and figure out what's best for you. So, you know, that's a common one. There are elements of uh, secular humanism that are popular in our culture, and, and a lot of that leads to kind of the consumerist mindset that we have. You know, the biblical worldview in terms of stewardship would say that all of the resources that you have are from God. And he has allowed you to manage those resources for him, whether it's your money, your time, your relationships, your experiences, your knowledge, all of the different resources that you possess are a gift from God to you, and they're given to you to allow you to invest them in ways that will advance the kingdom of God. But a postmodern worldview would say, get what you can, spend it however you want, use it however you want, and make sure that it's giving you pleasure. You know, and, and, and I'm sorry, the secular humanist, you would look at it that way. Uh, because it's really about giving you the kind of life you want with the resources that you earn. Christian, you know, biblical Christianity would say, well, you didn't necessarily earn them. You may have worked hard, and that may be something that you've gotten but God has allowed you to have those. So once again, very different perspectives based on whatever worldview you choose to follow. You know, I, I would I'd want to say, hey, hey, all you guys, how is that uh, that relativistic uh, personal satisfaction working out for you? How's that working out for Americans? Uh, you know, when we go across the uh, uh, across the, the the classes, the income levels. Uh, what, what what do you think? I mean, when are we going to apply some empirical data to the life outcomes for people who have a biblical worldview and people who have a postmodern worldview? That that's your next project, George. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up because that's literally one of the things that we're working on at the Cultural Research Center, trying to figure out what do we want to measure. We measured some of those things. And so we know, for instance, that when we compare people with a biblical worldview to those who have other worldviews, those with a biblical worldview are more content. They're happier. They're more satisfied with the outcomes in their life. They have what they feel are more satisfying relationships. They certainly feel that their faith is more valuable in their life. Their marriages last longer. Their marriages are more likely to last. They're less likely to get divorced. Uh, you know, so, I mean, there are a number of these things that we've already been able to put numbers to and show that, yes, there is a strong correlation, but we want to expand the base of those kinds of results so that we can show, you know, this really does make a huge difference in a person's life, and now we can quantify that. There's an irony in what you just said in that people with a biblical view, worldview, tend to be happier. And yet, uh, in the values that you associate with a biblical worldview versus a postmodern worldview, it's the postmodern worldview that emphasizes personal happiness, uh, along with freedom, entitlement, experiences, entertainment, uh, as opposed to the values of the biblical view that you say are civic duty, hard work, you know, humility, moderation, rule of law, family. 
Happiness isn't in that list, and yet they're happier. How can that be? You know, it, it, it's the whole reason why God, I believe, felt a need to give us this guidebook, if you will. And I don't mean to demean the majesty of the Bible, but, I mean, really it is a, a guide for life that he gave to us, knowing that if he left it up to us, we'd mess it up. And indeed, we tend to do that. And so what the Bible does is the very same thing that we say parents need to give to their children, which is structure, rules, discipline, consequences, all of those things. And so God modeled that for us by giving that to us in the scriptures. And so rather than having to make it up as we go along, rather than having to have every moment and every decision that we live be an experiment in trying to figure out what works best, God gave us the the crib notes. You know, he gave us the shortcut to how to live a more satisfying, a a more uh, happy, a more meaningful, a more fulfilling life. And here are the boundaries. You know, I mean, that's what we do as parents. We try to draw the boundaries for our children and help them to stay inside those boundaries because we believe it's safer for them, it's healthier for them, it's more productive for them. And that's exactly what the Bible does for us. But we become so full of ourselves that we believe we know better. We believe that not only did did God give me free will, it means that I'm free of any kind of restraints at all. And so I'm going to go out there and figure out what's the best way to do it. I'll show him. It's kind of stupid. I mean, we've got the all-knowing, all-powerful creator who made us, made the world in which we're living, gave us the rules by which we're going to really succeed and thrive and prosper, and we turn our nose up at them. Well, it's no wonder that we struggle so much in life, whether it's with relationships or money or a sense of purpose, whatever it may be, because we're ignoring the guidebook that was given to us. Yeah. Sounds like pride to me. Uh, (laughs) Last point, George. One of the consequences of this project is the in insertion of worldview ideas, worldview training into the education of ministers. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that we found in past research is that, depending on the denomination, half or less of senior pastors in Protestant churches have a biblical worldview. Now, of course, you can't give what you don't have. You know, we know that a worldview starts developing at 15 to 18 months of age, completely done pretty much by the age of 13. But, you know, if we look at our schools, we know that schools aren't giving kids a biblical worldview. Uh, you know, only only uh, 3% of school-age children in America are in a school environment where they're likely to be consistently exposed to biblical worldview teaching. Well, what about the family? We know that only 5% of the parents of kids under 13 years of age have a biblical worldview, 5%. So they're not going to get it from home. You can't get what you don't have. Uh, you know, so we think, well, at least they can go to church and get it. Truth of the matter is, most churches, first of all, are not teaching uh, a biblical worldview perspective. Uh, we know that uh, you know, most pastors say that's what they're doing as we've tested it. We 
found that that's not actually the case. Uh, and we found that in, uh, in conser- theologically conservative Protestant churches, a majority of the congregants say they're hungry for, they're dying for their pastor to teach them what the Bible has to do with the issues of the day. They don't know how to relate biblical principles to immigration, to crime prevention, to racial discrimination, to economics. All the big issues that we read about in the news every day, they don't know how those two things relate. And so we're kind of missing the boat here. We go back to colonial America. We see that one of the reasons the country was strong and able to do something unique in human history was because pastors gave that kind of teaching every week and throughout the week as they interacted with their congregants. We've lost that ability. And part of it is because so many of our pastors don't think like Christians, and therefore they can't act like Christians, and in their case, they can't teach Christians how to be Christian. The project is the American Worldview Inventory. It's with the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Thank you, George Barna. Thanks so much, Mark. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.